Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, church family, it is great to have opportunity to be in the Word together today. If you've got your Bible and something to write with, both would be really helpful, or maybe it's typed with, okay? As long as you're not looking at pregame reports for the Super Bowl tonight, I trust you with your device. We're all adults here, and we can do right, right? Stay focused. But if you've got the the Word of God and something to engage with uh, and take notes this morning, we're going to have opportunity together uh, to join uh, what we have been doing uh, over the last, really, seven, eight months now, going through the book of Romans, in our series called What He's Done. And if you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to title your notes United with Christ because today we are gonna be uh, turning the corner into a brand new section of the book of Romans in Romans chapter six. And we're gonna be looking at verse one through 14. Um, up to this point, for those who've been here and for those who haven't, um, we've been having a lot of fun going through the book of Romans. Anybody here feel incredibly blessed and helped just to have been in this book in this season? Um, I have heard so many stories and I am so encouraged about folks coming up and just saying to me and saying to other members of our leadership team, like specific ways that you felt God has been ministering to you in this season and I'm just so grateful than in a time where we've really needed uh, to hear God and to hear his message of hope that we've had opportunity to hear uh, through this book. All right, so here's the recap. And I've gotta go quick, because I lost some time with baby dedication today. If anybody knows me, you know time is a thing, all right? So here we go. Romans 1 to 5, um, we've been talking about what God accomplished for us in the gospel. For those who have been here, say these verses with me. We've memorized these together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We've talked extensively about the redemption that can be experienced in Jesus Christ. We've talked about how to know God. It's not about what we do for God, but it's about what he has done for us, which is why we call the series What He's Done. And these early chapters, it's like a fireworks bursting onto the scenes in front of the castle at Disney World or something. I mean, the opening fanfare is huge because Paul comes out and he's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like, look at this. Look at how great your God is. Look at, at what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And the reason it's so important that we understand his redemption in Jesus is because we so desperately need to be redeemed. All people, he describes, all of us have knowledge of God. All of us know that he exists and know that our life is owed to him. All of us, um, at the same time, have rejected God. All of us have rebelled against him. All of us even though we knew that he was there and knew 
that our hearts and our lives should be surrendered to him. All of us have said no thanks to him. And in our own way, we've turned away from him. All of us, like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. All of us have suppressed the truth about God. We've rejected him and we've turned from the creator to created things. Whether it's evidenced in your life, I mean, the question is not, you know, are you broken? It's just, how are you broken? The brokenness is real for all of us. Whether it's pornography or disordered eating behaviors, whether it's anger or codependency or areas of anxiety or unforgiveness or bitterness or perfectionism or lying or overworking, whatever it is in our lives, there is brokenness that has been evidenced because we have turned from God. And Paul in his early chapters helps us to see how much we need redemption, how we turn from God and the things we turn to as substitutes have become horrible masters. All of us are guilty before God. All of us stand in worthy condemnation and because of our rejection of God. And yet, what he's been saying in these early chapters, it's like, and yet, though no one is righteous, no, not one. Though all of us deserve separation from God now and forever because of our own choice to walk away from him, yet we are the same time so loved by God we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to believe and yet the good news of the gospel comes in and he says and yet at the same time you are more loved by God than you ever dared to hope for while you were yet in your sin God came for you and Christ died for you he proclaims that God has made a way of salvation for the lost. That God has brought a way, apart from religious ceremonies, apart from your trying to keep the law, apart from your good work, God has made a way in himself and what he has done for you, he has made a way in his life come to live for you for your righteousness and his death, which was not deserved by him in any way because he was sinless, but was deserved by us because of our sin. He died for you to take all of your sin upon himself so that you might be forgiven. He went into the grave for you in his death and he rose to new life for you and he lives today and he can give new life to all who believe. God is a wonderful redeemer. God is a great savior in who he is and in what he has done. There's sufficient help and hope to make you new. Aren't you grateful for Jesus Christ? And Paul says, what's needed now is for you to turn to him. And, and I don't want to go any further without just saying to you, there are some who, are, are, who, who know their brokenness and their need, and you're still trying to figure out, how do I, how do I get back to God? How, how do I get out of this where I am? And I just want to remind you again, before we go any further, that the answer to that is not anything what you can do. It's all what God can do for you. And you've got to come to a point where you just say, God, I'm broken. And there's nothing I can do, but God, I believe you. I believe who you are. And I believe what you have done in Jesus Christ is enough. I believe you love me and you give grace. And what Paul urges us to do in Romans 4 is to turn 
from self and sin to Christ so that we might be saved. By faith, we are saved. And this is a gift of God. Today, you can make that choice. You can turn to Christ. And then he establishes, where we just finished in Romans 5, he, he establishes that now that we're in Christ, oh, all of these blessings, and we talked about these in recent weeks, these blessings that come. Well, where we are today, okay, I need you to get in your head what I'm about to present to you, okay? We're, we're at a turning point. Because up to this point, we've been talking about what God accomplished for us, for us in the gospel. But from this point, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking in the next few chapters about what God will accomplish in us through the gospel. Okay? What he will accomplish in us through the gospel. And the premise of all of these upcoming chapters, okay? And we'll be talking about these themes in coming weeks and I promise I'm about to read the text and we're gonna dive straight in. So if you're wondering, is he gonna teach the Bible today? Oh, yes. But you've, you've gotta hear the heart of where Paul's heading in these chapters because what he's gonna be talking to us about again and again is that when we trust Jesus for salvation, it always leads us to experience a transformation in him. Trust always leads to transformation. We'll start this conversation today, but it will not be finished because it carries over into the coming chapters. The gospel, you've got to understand, is not only for your eternal salvation. It's not only for the day that in the end, um, you'll go, well, I'm, I'm just so glad to know that after I take my last breath or if Jesus comes again, that like, I'll be right with him. That is true. The good news of the gospel does give you assurance of life with God forever. But it's more than that. It's not just for your eternal salvation. It's also for your daily deliverance. The gospel is meant to, to, to be the way that you learn to live every day with God. It's a whole new way of life. Another way to say it, I'm going to keep finding new ways to say it, all right, is that Jesus provides not only forgiveness, but also freedom. And part of what God wants to do in our lives, yes, he wants to forgive us of our sin, to put us right with him again, but he also wants to work in such a loving and powerful way in our hearts and lives to where we experience on an ongoing basis, increasing freedom, increasing fulfillment, increasing joy in life with him. I'll say it one more way and then we'll get into our text. Jesus delivers us not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And we're going to be looking at this in these upcoming chapters as Paul pours out the heart of God for us to help us to know what he's done for us and what he wants to do in us. Father, we pray that as we hear your word now that we would hear it from your voice into our hearts and that, Lord, it would have its intended effect to lead us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter six, starting in verse one. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. This morning, our main point is this. I hope you'll write it down. When we trust Christ, we are transformed by Christ through our new union with him. Okay? So again, it goes back to what I was saying a second ago. Trust leads to transformation. That's what I believe that God wants you to hear in his word and this particular passage. When you trust Christ, you're going to be transformed by Christ. It's a transformation of your identity, and it's a transformation of your way of life. Your whole personality and your whole way of life is totally transformed. Trust leads to transformation. And how does this transformation happen? It happens when we are united with him. Okay? So this morning, um, what I want to do is talk to you about this union that Christ brings in our lives as we're joined with him, as we trust him, okay? And I wanna talk to you particularly about three things that happen when we are united with Christ, all right? We're gonna go through these one by one, so don't feel the pressure right now to write down all three. But for those who are structural thinkers, I always like to provide you an outline of where we're going so you can kind of follow with what I believe is a good structure of understanding this passage. So we first want you to understand you are united with him. That's the reality of our union. And then he wants you to understand how has that changed things? What are the results of our union? And third, he wants you to understand that what should our response be to this union? So the whole, po- the whole point of this passage is you're united with Christ. First, I want you to know that. Secondly, I want you to know what that means, how that changes things. And third, there's something for you to do. And that's something is the thing that I'm going to ask at the end of this message based on the 
the truth of God's word that we all do. And maybe for the first time in a recommitted way at the end of today's message. We're going to start with the reality of our union in verses 1 through 5. If you remember where we left off in chapter 5, all right? One of the last verses of the chapter. Do you all remember this? At the very end of the chapter, he says, Now where the law came in to, to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, what? Grace abounded. And we talked about last Sunday the reality of the, the, the superabounding of God's grace. Like, you might think that your sin is just is too much. It's just too much, like it, it'll keep you from God forever, but, but what the Bible teaches is that God's grace is greater than any of your sin. His grace superabounds. Grace upon grace, John 1 says, we have known in Jesus Christ. It, it's like watching a, a waterfall. I don't know if you've ever um, seen a waterfall, but just to sit under this waterfall and to just marvel at just the pouring over of the water. That's where we ended in chapter five. He's going, there's this waterfall of God's grace. Like, don't you just know how good he is? His grace abounds all the more. Now, um, the obvious question that would come if you finish reading chapter five is, <laughs> some might think, well, that's quite amazing. So. You mean like sin's good? Like, I mean, no matter how much I sin, like God just keeps pouring out grace, so can I just be cool with sin then? Like, are we good? Like, got the eternity thing checked out, but in terms of this life, like, woohoo! Like, that means I could just kind of live however I want to because God's grace super bounds. Like, he's just going to cover it. Paul gives voice to this question in verse 1 of chapter 6, which is why I'm even giving voice to this, all right? Because Paul knows exactly where this could lead. It could lead you to think, well, what then shall we say? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, is this the equation? More sin equals then, okay, more grace. And more grace, oh man, the abounding of grace, isn't that good? And Paul answers to those who conclude that people no longer need to try to live in obedience to God. He basically says, uh, you're thinking this way, you, you completely misunderstand everything I've just said. Verse 2, by no means. That's a Bible way of saying, heck no. All right. That's how we would say it in Georgia. How do you say it in the home of your upbringing? How would you say it? Don't, some of y'all can't even say it because it involves with, um, <laughs> this is, this is a Bible's way of, of using an expression like, are you kidding me? Say what? You have, that is the furthest thing, right? It's like, no way. Not at all. And then he says, how can we who 
died to sin still live in it. Okay, wait. So, Paul, um, hold on a second because we, we, I, I literally just got my head around this Adam and Christ thing. If you were here last week, you should chuckle a little bit, right? Right? We've just been in this deep dive and you've, you've been having me talk, think about my, my union with Christ and this new Adam and his representation over me, this new kind of federal head and my trust in him and all that means. And now you're talking about I've, I've died? Wait a second. Like I've just checked my pulse. I don't feel like I've died. What are you talking about and what is this about? We died to sin? What, what, what do you mean? It's a good question. He knows that you have the question because the start of verse 3 says, do you not know? Which means he's introducing to you something that you may need to know that maybe up until this point you haven't fully understood about all that God has done in Jesus Christ. Both in history but also God has all that God has done within you. And he's saying, you've got to know something. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What he's saying here, essentially, is that there's an identity realignment that's needed. Now that you have trusted Christ, there's something now that you've got to embrace, a, a new reality that you have got to learn to embrace. There's an identity shift. It's got to happen in your mind, and it's got to reframe your heart. As you, as you think about yourself, you've got to think about yourself differently. Something has shifted. An identity has shifted. And he says, yeah, you have got to learn the reality of this new union. I'm going to read the verses one more time because I'm going to dive into it because it's so important we understand it. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Died to sin. Now, the big question is, what does this reality look like? So if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write it down. Because if we're talking about the reality of this union, here's what Paul's saying. Here's what shifted. Now that you have trusted in Christ and the Spirit of God has made you new, you are now joined with Christ in a completely new state. You have now transferred from death to life. Something has happened. Something radical has happened, and it's changed you forever. You were dead, and now you're alive. Now, he uses these phrases, sin and God, to explain this death and life, because it's more than just, um, like, physical. So what he's saying is, in our hearts, something radical has happened. When you were joined with Christ, when you transferred trust, as we've talked about in recent weeks, to him, 
God has begun a new work. You have been united with Jesus in such a way that just as he died, you died. And just as he rose, you rose. As you look at him, you're seeing yourself. Death to life. There's a new state. Death to sin and life being described as to God. Has anybody ever been to a wedding? I really mean that. <laughs> Some of you are laughing like, duh. All right. Does that mean most everybody has everybody been to a wedding? Um, I love weddings. The older I get and the longer I've been married, I cry a lot. Um, sometimes I cry when I'm the one officiating your wedding, so consider yourself warned if you ever ask me, okay? Um, I try not to outstage the groom, but I'm up there also crying. <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing. Um, we've got a groom who has set his love upon one and has done everything needed to go and to take her as his wife. You've got a bride who's adorned in beautiful garments, who's gracious and loving and kind and compassionate and coming down the aisle and the whole, just the whole thing. Gosh, it gets me emotional. They stand up front and there's something really very spiritual, obviously kind of mystical about it. They make not just commitment to one another, but they're making covenant with one another. And you hear the words, you know, I take you to be my husband, to be my wife. I love you. I, I'll live to take care of you. I'll be committed to you. I'll consider your needs above my needs. I'll give myself away to you, even unto death. And then when that happens, right, and there's this exchange of the rings, there's this covenanting, and this exchange, and then at the end of the ceremony, if I'm ever officiating, there's a moment, right, when perhaps they take communion or there's a time of prayer and a song, but there's a moment when they turn toward each other and I say, well, you turn and face everyone else. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. No, I don't say that part. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Mr. And Mrs., for the first time in public, Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, or whatever, who it is, okay? And everybody goes, okay, great. And I'm, try, I'm trying to get us in the mood, you guys, all right? We're really reuniting this thing. And then they walk down the aisle to thunderous applause, and everybody knows in a very real way, in a very substantive way, but in also a very pronounced way, very publicly visible way, these two have now joined together. And it is no longer two, but it is now one. Mr. and Mrs., they are united together and they're presented together. And it's no longer them individually, it's them together. And it changes things. It changes things substantively, before God and others, it changes things in a million ways practically. It is a fundamental, fundamental, fundamental. <laughs> it is a fundamental life change, okay? Anybody who's married can tell you. What Paul is trying to help you to see is that as you have a, a, a groom, so to speak, in Jesus Christ, who shows up on the stage with his love set upon you and his commitment to take you 
as his own. And you responded to his invitation. Yes, a million times yes. And you turn your trust to him and surrender to him. There is this union that happens between him and between, between us. And it's no longer two, it's now one. And there's a presentation of this union and Paul's saying, don't you see? The old life is gone. A new life has come. You are now united with Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you this new union. Do you see? And that is what Paul is trying to help us see in this text. And what he's trying to help you to understand is as you look at all that happened to Christ, you're now united with him. He died to sin and he's been raised to new life in God. And therefore, because you are no longer on your own, you're with him, you're completely united with him. You also have died to sin and you've been raised to walk in a new life with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, I'm gonna give you a couple of scripture references. Also gives me a chance to calm down. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four speaks this. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Obviously, His, this is the whole gospel message we proclaim. He died because of sin. He gave his life as a substitute for us. And what killed him there on the cross was bearing the condemnation and the wrath of God that we deserved. He gave his whole life over bearing our sin. He died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried. Three days he was put in a tomb. But then a day came when they went to go finish the embalmment process and the tomb was empty. Praise be to God. And they discovered one calling out their name. The very one who died is now alive, but he's alive in a new way. The last time they saw him, he was hanging on a cross, paying a penalty for death, for sin, unto death. Now they're seeing him, and he has been resurrected in new life. Sin does not have the final word. God's victory has the final word, and he is a resurrected Savior who lives today, and he lives his life unto God. And what Paul is saying is, don't you know that he died for sin, he was raised to new life, and also, Colossians 2, Paul also says, 11 and 12, in him, also you, you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, circumcision. Having been buried with him, listen to the imagery, having been buried with him, I'm trying to express to you what Paul's trying to express to you. You have to see yourself in a new way. It's no longer just you, you're united with Christ. When he was buried, you were buried with him in baptism in which you were 
raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us what? Alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he did what? Raised us up. Do you see the imagery? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, united with Christ, sharing in his death, but then God has done something fundamental in you. He has taken you from death and he has brought, because of your union with Christ, a new life. You were raised with Christ and you've been seated with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> What's needed, friends, is an identity realignment around a new reality. You may not feel this to be so every day, but this is so. You have one who has given himself for you and he's given himself to you and you've given yourself to him and God has done something spiritual, yes, quite mystical, but nevertheless very real. The two have become one and you're now in Christ and this is a reality that you are called to embrace. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you not know? And by the way, don't let this idea of baptism, some, some of y'all right now might go, hold on a second. Why didn't it say, do you not know that all of us who put their faith into Christ Jesus? Um, I just encourage you, I just preached my heart out over the last two months. Romans chapter four, all right? <laughs> Go back and listen. Um, recognize that here, of course, in baptism, there is this beautiful symbolic action that we're taking to, to signify something deeply spiritual and mystical, where the old self is put away in the baptism, going under to immerse, and triumphantly out of the water comes this celebration of what God has done on the inside. God has made us new. But even go back to the scriptures, Colossians 2, where he says, you've been buried with him in baptism, which you were raised with him through what? Through faith, right? It's not the baptism that saves. It's the heart of one who turns to Christ. There are many who have gone through baptismal waters but are not saved unto Jesus Christ. I covenant with my wife at a marriage ceremony and God joined us together before I put this ring on. This ring came on as after I covenanted, and it should have come on. If I wasn't wearing the ring, y'all go, where's your ring? It should have come on, because it's an outward symbol of an inward reality, but the ring came on after the real union. The real union happened before. We are united to Christ by faith. Ephesians repeats it, for by grace you have been saved through what? 
through faith, okay? But what he's trying to say is, if you can see this picture, because what should come after faith is always baptism. It's our first step of obedience. And if you've never taken that step of obedience, we would love to have the opportunity to celebrate with you in baptism what God has done in your heart. It should always come on after. But we don't need to confuse. He's just saying, if you can remember with your act of baptism, which is a normal for, normative for, for all Christians, how you were, went under and came out, don't you recognize that this is symbolic of this new union that God has worked in your heart? And don't you know that if you've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his? Those of you today who are getting older and you're wondering, could something happen to me soon? Those of you who are battling disease and you're wondering, what if, dot, dot, dot. Those of you today who are suffering and struggling alongside of a loved one in one of those categories, or those of you today who just need to remember that at some point, unless Jesus comes first, you will die. There's a good word for us here in verse five because it tells us that if truly we have been united with Christ, certainly we know that there's coming a day, not just that we've been resurrected here in our hearts unto God, but there's coming a day that even though our bodies physically will die as his did, he is a first fruits of something to come. Our physical bodies will be raised unto newness of life. And though we die, yet we will live with him forever. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21 reminds us, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If you are united with Christ, something has changed. You have changed. And you've got to embrace that you now share all of these things with him. You got it? So the first step is understanding your union with Christ, the reality of the union. The second step is understanding the results of the union. The results of the union. Verses six to 10 we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives he lives to God. The result of our union, if you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to write them down as this. The result of our union is that now, see, trust has led to transformation, a transformation of a new reality of our union with Christ and a, and a new results of that union, meaning this, we are no longer under the ruling power of sin. We are no longer under the ruling power of of sin. Verse six, for we know, we know 
that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What he's saying is that death severs the hold of sin on us. See, previously, um, we were dominated by sin. If you think about our life before we came to Christ, we had chosen to walk away from the Lord and there was no other choice for us other than to continue to walk in brokenness away from the Lord because that's the choice that we made unless something intervened and changed it. We were helpless to change the trajectory and the state of our lives on our own. But now something has happened. Being united with Christ, we have now died with Christ to sin, which means that death, in a way, has completely stopped that unending bondage to brokenness and rebellion and rejection and sin that we've all experienced. In other words, the kind of attitude that we are to embrace is, I've been delivered. I've been delivered out of the dominion of sin. My old self, verse 6, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Something glorious has happened. There is now a path out of brokenness, friends. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that there is now an opportunity in every single moment of temptation or decision, there's an opportunity to do something other than to continue to choose against God. Now there is an opportunity to choose God and to choose life with God and the way of God and the will of God. Our union with Christ has destroyed the dominion of sin over us. And in verse 7, he says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. In other words, while sin still has power, and we'll talk about this in coming weeks, it no longer enslaves us. While sin remains in me, and yes, we confess and admit, sin still has potential to be a strong force to reckon with in our lives while it still remains and has strength, it no longer controls me. It no longer controls my personality. It no longer controls my life. For the one, me, who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. <laughs> What he's saying here is God's spirit of life is now in us. If we have died with him, now also we can live with him. And this new me is a completely new me. Everything has changed. Because who I am has fundamentally changed. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will, will never die again. Death no longer 
has dominion over him. We are children of God. And as his children, we can now exercise authority over sinful desires. Um, I don't, as we get into the coming chapters, we're going to have opportunity to go into this more. So this morning, I know that it feels like maybe I want to ask some questions on this. I want to press into this a little bit more. And I promise you, this concept is going to continue to spill out into our discipleship in coming weeks. But I want you to understand how fundamentally this changes everything. Because now, God has opened up a brand new path for us in life. A path does, does not look like having to continue to live in that which we chose before we knew Christ and knew his powerful working in our lives. We have a path to now choose Christ. <laughs> a brand new opportunity to say yes, to say no to sin, but yes, yes to God. The result of our union with him is that in our hearts, God has made us new. The old has gone and the new has come and his spirit now lives in us and there is a new path of opportunity for me to learn in every moment of every day with all that I am and all that I have, I can now say yes to God. While it may feel that this sin is overwhelming, that this temptation is impossible to resist, it's not the reality because the result is that there is now life at work in you. And life is leading you to an opportunity to say yes to God. So therefore, as we consider what to do from here, we look then at verses 11 to 14 at our response. The indicative is leading to the imperative. In other words, what he has done is now leading to what we should do, the reality of the union and the results of the union now lead us to need to respond to the union. And he says in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The indicative is leading to the imperative. And what does Paul say we should do? You can summarize it in this. He's encouraging us to place our whole self at the disposal of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He's saying, so if you know all of this, if you can see the reality of your union with Christ, if you can see the results of that, you are, the old self is gone, 
and a new self has come, and life is now at work in you, and you have the opportunity to say yes instead of no to Jesus. In every moment, in every day, with who you are uniquely, you're beautifully and wonderfully made, how you're called, what you do, the family you have, the circumstances you're in, the situations you face, you have this pathway of learning to say yes to God. Lean into the spirit of life. Let him set you free. So then, what are you to do? Not just know these things, but act on these things. Say yes! (laughs) In every moment and in every day and in every way, say yes to Jesus Christ. Say yes to him. Verse 11, there's a key verse that I want to point your attention to. And then I'm going to give you three ways to live in this and we'll be done. You also must consider. The idea here is like reckon. You must consider this to be so dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, every day and in every way, you gotta live, you gotta make a choice. This is, a, this is an imperative for you. We're getting into something that we need to do in response to what he's done. You have the responsibility to live in this reality. This is so. The old has gone and the new has come. I am now dead to sin and I'm alive to God in Jesus Christ. Three statements that I want to give you to learn to live in and talk about them this week as I close. Number one, you've got to learn to live in this. I've been delivered out of the dominion of sin. I can and I should exercise authority over it. That's verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members for that. You've been delivered out of that. There is a new pathway for you to say yes to Jesus. And you've got to remember that the spirit of life is at work in you for this very purpose. So therefore, you have responsibility in each moment of temptation and situation you find yourselves in to say yes to God, to say no to sin, and to say yes to God. You see it? It's the first response. Secondly, you've got to remember this that I was bought with Christ's blood. And now, I owe my whole life to him. If you can remember this, if you can remember this, then you won't act as if you belong to yourself. Everything you have, you owe to Jesus Christ. Everything you have. He loves you. He gave himself for you. Therefore, Paul says, present your members not to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to who? To God. And the choices you make every day, are you going to offer yourself to that for which Christ died? That which killed him on the cross, you're going to give yourself to that? Or are you going to give yourself to the one who gave himself so that you could be forgiven and set free? you got a choice to make. How could we who were bought with Christ's blood do anything but to say, oh Jesus, I want my whole life to be yours. Third and finally, and I close. 
I was saved by Christ specifically so that I would not sin. It's the third thing you've got to recognize. This is why he saved you. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Jesus came and he lived and he poured himself out and he gave his own life on the cross for you. Even unto death. And the whole reason that he did this was because he loves you and because he wanted to not only forgive you, but to free you from sin's power and death's power. This is why he came, so you would be free. So why then? Why, oh why, oh why would I ever continue in that sin? Titus 2.14 He who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous, who are zealous for good works. I want to talk to you again about the reality of trusting Christ. Because when we trust him, we are transformed by him. We are transformed by him because we are united with him. And I wonder this morning as I close, do you know this? First, have you turned to him to trust him? That's your first step. And this morning, today could be a day, a great and joyous day of salvation for you to experience the new life that God gives as you turn to him. But for those of us who have turned to him and trusted him, there's a transformation at work and Paul's beginning to explain it to us. And I'm asking this morning, do you know it? Do you know the reality of your union with Christ? Do you know that just as he died to sin and he was raised to newness of life, that within you, you have died to sin and you are now raised to walk in a newness of life with God. God is doing something new and he's doing it in you. And do you know that this spills over into all kinds of ways in your life? That there's this new pathway open for you to say yes to Jesus and I'm wondering, how are you responding? This morning, as we turn to a time of worship, I would encourage you to really consider, to really consider in this time of response how you can just yield your whole heart and life to Jesus again in a fresh way. How you can consider how to see yourself as he sees you, how to reckon it to be so. If there's any sin this morning that you've been wrestling with over this last week or this last season, I would encourage you to allow God to use this space to lead you to repentance. Repentance brings renewal and refreshing. The first step is just to recognize what's going on, to admit it, to confess it. The Bible says if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. We have a wonderful Savior and he loves us so. And he has stood at the altar and committed himself to us. He's taken us as his own. And his death counts for our death and his life counts for our life. We are united with him. 
it's been proclaimed. We're now one with him as we joined him in faith and subsequent baptism. We publicly made it known. How could we do anything but want to live our whole life in love with the one who loved us? To live our whole life surrendered to the one who gave himself for us. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.